Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. On today's show, I have Sean Barger, who is the founder and CEO of CPU Coin, a new way of decentralized computing. And we're going to talk to Sean about his early days where he worked on perhaps the first viral video game ever. So don't go away. First up in tech news is that the city of San Diego is under fire for retrofitting 4,200 street lamps that have such devices as a video camera and sound sensor. Although the implementations have just gotten underway, the public is in an uproar because they felt like they didn't have the ability to have any discussion or influence with the city's decision. The city says, of course, that this was implemented to make cities safer. They're using General Electric's city IQ system. And the residents are fearful that they have no idea how the data is being used or where the data is coming. In Butte, Montana, they have been equipping their school buses with advanced GPS technology and scanning that will record every time a child gets on or off the bus. And they say that this is important because it really helps secure the child. For instance, when a child comes home, if the parents aren't home, the parents just need to use an app and they can tell when their child has gotten off the bus. Additionally, the buses are equipped with video recording devices so that, for instance, if a driver behind a bus failed to stop when required, video from the bus can be used to send to the sheriff to charge the stop sign violator with a crime. In an interesting story about how oftentimes companies are trying to serve their customers better, Delta Airlines has been trying to find a way to give their passengers free Wi-Fi, which sounds great, and only JetBlue does that in the United States. Delta publicly commented that as long as they've tried to figure out how to give their customers free Wi-Fi, they're very concerned that their service provider, GoGo, which provides the actual in-flight Wi-Fi, wouldn't be able to handle the load or the traffic if every customer on the plane was able to use Wi-Fi at the same time. And in the final news for today, three senators, Blumenthal, Warren, and Brown, are actually going after Amazon for unfair practices in their package delivery service. So as they've started to do less with UPS and left with FedEx, it is said that Amazon requires a very high standard for their drivers, even though there's no quality control. So for instance, a driver for Amazon's own delivery service is expected to have a 99.9% service delivery and deliver 250 packages in eight hours. And I'm sure there'll be much more news on this. And that's the tech news of the week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, I have Sean Barger, who's the founder and CEO of CPU Coin, in the studio with me. Welcome, Sean. Good to be here, Keith. So, Sean, before we get into what CPU Coin is, you just have a really interesting history and background. So, I think I wanted to get into that. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Sure. I moved out to the Bay Area in 87. I'm not going to go into too much detail by year, but I started at my first job. Actually, I got lucky. I was the first producer at Spectrum Holobyte. 
and produced a whole bunch of games there. There was a little game that I was passed in the first couple months, a game that people didn't know what it was, but it was all over the Bay Area. It was at Activision. It was at Bruderbund. It was at Electronic Arts, et cetera, et cetera. And they said, you know, what do you think of this game? I took it home for the weekend. I came back and I said, I'd love to produce this. It's extremely addicting. And we'll do the whole Russian theme, et cetera. And I was the actual first producer of Tetris and did all the versions in the United States of Tetris uh, before it became, you know, Nintendo Game Boy, right? That's a truly amazing story. As everyone knows, I'm an Alameda native and Spectrum Holobyte was headquartered, when, at least as I knew it, was headquartered in Alameda at the time. I know you were telling me that it's not the original headquarters, but Tetris, super addicting. And think about all the addicting games now. And Tetris is kind of at the... Yeah, it's like it's, I think, the second largest grossing franchise in the history of games, right? So uh, this is an off-the-wall question because you brought up, but where did the Russian angle come in on? Well, it really... Ed Bogus, who's an old friend of mine, uh, did the music, and Ty Roberts, who ended up over at Grace Note, who did all the tech that, like, recognizes the music, okay? If, so when you slide into CD, it'll tell you what the music is like, Shazam, Okay, but for CDs or whatever, and, and now you have the music database. Basically, those guys you know came and said, "Look, we have really good music module you can use for for this." And Ed Bogus is a you know, pretty famous Bay Area musician, and he did all this Russian music. So we tied that into just making it all look really Russian. And the guy was from Russia, so we actually announced the game. We did a Russian consulate in San Francisco, you know, celebration <laughs> as the first game ever in the United States, and it was really quite. Special, actually. Well, that just talks to the power of marketing. Who would have known that the Russians weren't really behind Tetris, just like most people don't know that the fortune cookie was invented in the Bay Area? Well, Alexei is the original programmer of Tetris, right? <laughs> he, did the, he did the Microsoft basic version of it, but the release of it was first in the United States and PCs and DOS. So, great story. So, after Tetris, after Spectrum Holobyte, what were you doing? So, yeah, I did a whole bunch of games there, and then I moved on and did Hanna-Barbera series, Flintstone, Scooby-Doo, Johnny Quest, and Jetsons at, at a company called Micro Illusions, and then started Equilibrium after that, uh, which uh, produced the first three uh, titles for THQ, which became the second largest publisher of games in the United States on three of the four titles on their IPO produced at Equilibrium as an independent developer. So that's how I started, and I bootstrapped the company on, on doing that. And then while we were doing the games, we had a, a submission that was a, a tool that we used to produce sprites and tiles and map and do super palletization, et cetera. That was a product called Debabilizer, which you may not have heard of, but a lot of people in the games business would know it from the old days. Mm -hmm. Sold over a million copies of that. It was in Fry's Electronics next to Photoshop. It's the <laughs> batch processing tool for, for translating content files, yeah. right? And then from there, we got into what, what are we going to do on the server side? And in 1999, we filed for the patents on dynamic imaging and created a little filter that tied to a completely rewritten from the ground up tool called Media Rich Server, which to this day, I actually have another company, Equilibrium, uh, that I've sold it once and then bought all the assets back. And now Equilibrium is uh, powering some of the largest e-tailers and websites in the world. Yeah, that that's a fantastic story as well. And that then leads, how does a person with that kind of a background um, end up going from games to Debabilizer to Rich Media to Enterprise? You know, it's interesting because effectively by getting going from uh, dynamic imaging for websites, uh, which, which was a natural extension from games, right? So games to websites... We then started connecting the generator to 
um, the meteorite server to any system that needed to visualize content. And to this day, it's a massive opportunity still. Because how often do you go to a, a product or a tool and you can't see what it is? You see little icons on the disk. And even even on the OS level, mm-hmm. Microsoft was looking at us for that, right? And now that's what they've done. They've effectively tried to make thumbnails of everything and then previewers of everything. And It so still takes a long time to load, by the way. It still takes a long time <laughs> to load. So we, we actually made a technology that does a proxy uh, and sa- saves that to a proxy cache. We actually have the issued patents. For over 400 file types that that normalizes anything and allows you to view it, uh, share it, save it, annotate it, secure it, etc. Well, Sean, I mean, you have a really rich history, and that's going to lead right into our next segment when we talk about CPU coins. So I thank you for giving us all that background. Um, I don't do this enough, but I want to remind everybody that if you miss any portion of the show, because we often get calls, you can download us by simply Googling Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo, and our platforms are Apple, Google Play, and you can always find us on Omni. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn, Keith Koo, Facebook, KeithKoo.sv. We're going to be right back with Sean Barger, CEO of CPU Coin. Email us at info at svn.biz for any questions or comments. The NTT Open Innovation Contest 10.0 is now open for submissions. Interested startups should definitely check this out. Your company could win up to $100,000 of funding and win a trip to Tokyo to get shepherded by NTT Data's ecosystem. Go to oi.nttdata.com or svn.biz for more information. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Once again, I'm joined with Sean Barger, who's the founder and CEO of CPU Coin. And in our last segment, which you should replay if you missed it, he talked about his long history in Silicon Valley and in technology leading up to what we're talking about today, CPU Coin. Hey, Sean. So right before we get into CPU coin, um, this is something we have not covered yet, but it is out there in the public. What is an IEO? And we've talked about ICOs and STOs. We haven't yet really discussed what an IEO is. Well, an IEO is is effectively born by exchanges because if you think about it, ICOs came out and people were doing direct sales and then eventually being listed on exchanges. And so exchange, when ICOs kind of died the beginning of last year, I would say, um, uh, there was no real way to do um, multiple rounds of financing or you know, have early uh, token buyers and dealing with the KYC AML and all the different issues around, you know, uh, you know, transaction handling and 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 conversion of 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 funds, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so, what a number of exchanges have done, and there's a lot of them now that are doing it. And some of them are, you know, tier one, two, and three. I would say, uh, is is they are doing an initial exchange offering and then immediately listing or sometimes not listing your token. So they'll do an exchange offering to their to their wallet holders and to their traders while you bring in your community and and you know do a one or two uh, or three rounds and then list. And so, an initial exchange offering, exchanges do the vetting. They review your materials. They confirm documentation. They do all that in advance, so that uh, you don't just leave it to all the individual token buyers, right? Makes sense. Yeah. And so, uh, 
we're right in the middle of an IEO and we're about to be listed on Tuesday uh, at ProBit in Korea. Well, great. Congratulations. And thank you for the answer. It's funny because uh, when I was managing director at one of the major banks, I actually, as part of my responsibilities, owned KYC, AML, and BSA. And so I know the amount of effort that would take to get that many investors qualified. And so it sounds, um, what we talk about a lot is innovation happens in all forms. And this is where, in terms of fundraising and the efficiency of fundraising, another innovation has occurred. I would say so. I mean, it, 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 you know, the jury is still out on how long it's going to last. Yes. But, yeah. And it really speaks to, because today we're doing a lot of shows on the tie-in of blockchain as technology, really speaks to that we're still in the really early innings of blockchain as a technology, as a business process. People are still trying to wrap their heads around it, and we're trying to educate people as much as we can. So CPU coin, what is that? C- CPU coin, we named it CPU coin because uh, A was a Ethereum uh, token that was available and uh, that we could utilize. And effectively, we, we are creating the sharing economy for CPU power. Uh, both going after uh, tier one, two, three, and four uh, CPU types. Uh, so tier one is on-prem, where people want to keep it secure and local and use our platform to share and and deliver their own work as a testing bed uh, or just to do their own uh, decentralized uh, you know processing of content or or a business analysis or AI or whatever they want to do. Uh, tier uh, two, three, and four um, are uh, SAS 70 data centers and then um, KYC AML uh, you know, pers- uh, people who have just PCs or Macs or whatever at home and they want to earn cryptocurrency with them by installing our miner client. Uh, effectively, Today, we look at it that at any given moment, there's 700 million machines <laughs> doing nothing uh, in the world. Uh, and and there's a lot of waste at CPU power and people are just buying more and more and, and, and paying exorbitant fees uh, at data centers around the globe. And what we provide is the ability to uh, install our uh, miner software and earn cryptocurrency or whatever currency you'd like uh, by doing productive work for enterprises. And we're really focused on you know, enterprise delivery, but it, consultants and, and individuals can still use it for doing a lot of content processing or whatever they want to do. Yeah, and I think uh, some of this is esoteric because most people don't deal with data centers on their daily lives. So I'm going to try to interpret this into, into layman's terms. So we have data centers. So if you're using, if you're a Comcast user at home or an AT&T internet user, all that's happening at a data center somewhere. And you're calling, those are still run by computers, servers, et cetera. And so there's idle times on those machines. Those machines are asleep or ineffectively almost asleep doing nothing. And someone, service provider or you, you're actually paying for those cycles. So if you can imagine coming from a major company with lots and lots of servers, uh, becomes very expensive. And when we joke a lot about how much Bitcoin mining costs, yeah. that is true for any type of heavy workloads. Um, I've seen, I, I can say it now, but I've been at major, major technology companies when Amazon or eBay were new, and to see 80 racks of what would eventually become an eBay or an Amazon deployment in their data center, 
you just have to imagine um, hundreds and hundreds of servers in those racks. And Amazon as a cloud service provider, which a lot of people are getting more used to now because in the enterprise world, they thought they could save money by going to a quote-unquote cloud instead of managing their own data center. Uh, they're trying to optimize those cycles. Mm-hmm. So now you're just buying, you're, you're renting space instead of owning space. Right. As a matter of fact, that's the whole concept behind what we're doing. We're making it so you can pay as you go on a per transaction basis and anybody can become a miner to earn extra currency, a cryptocurrency of their choice. So there's the there's there's people around the globe that can that can earn money with their machine or their mobile device even. We're looking at doing microservices on mobile devices, right? Um, but the main thing is that there's no current way to take something that is a server-side system, turn it into a decentralized service, or we're calling it a de-service, and then have it automatically deploy and scale on the edge uh, to meet the required needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's what we're, that w- that's what we're building. Um, my CTO did NetSuite last. He was the core engineer, one of the core engineers, the original core engineer of NetSuite. Uh, and he's a brilliant uh, technologist and a CTO. And uh, yeah, we've we've been working together now uh, many times uh, in our lives. And this time, he's come in and he really has a passion for cryptocurrency and decentralizing. Uh, you know, working on blockchain. So it really uh, was a really good hire to bring him in. And he's effectively created a um, a uh, you know, architecture. And a white paper that is fantastic, and we've actually built a test net, and we're about to deploy the miner very soon. So in the very near future, you're going to be able to install your own miner in our network and have it show up and do productive work for other people. That sounds great. And just to hit the point home, so we went from data center to cloud, and people thought that AWS or Google Cloud or Azure for Microsoft or any other number of cloud service providers that it would be cheaper. And in effect, if you knew how to efficiently manage it, which is what I help people do, if you know how to efficiently manage it, it could be cheaper. But what happens most of the time is people leave those machines running idle. So imagine that you buy what we call containers in one of these cloud service providers, and you didn't need an extra, extra large. You only needed a small, but you bought extra, extra large, and now you're paying for it as if you're using it all the time. I guarantee that you as a company owner, as a as a individual, you were paying way more than you would have if you just bought that computer. And so if CPU coin fulfills the dream, you're able to then decentralize that and uh, effectively only pay as you go. Exactly. It's like Filecoin for storage, but instead it's for CPU power, CPU and GPU power. And the difference is we've actually have 20 years of development in the first decentralized service called the media gen. And we're going to get right into that in the next segment. So uh, once again, Sean Barger, CEO and founder of CPU coin. And in our next segment, we'll get into how to engage any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz. And we'll be right back. The NTT Open Innovation Contest 10.0 is now open for submissions. Interested startups should definitely check this out. Your company could win up to $100,000 of funding and win a trip to Tokyo to get shepherded by NTT Data's ecosystem. Go to oi.nttdata.com or svn.biz for more information. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. 
Once again, today I'm joined with Sean Barger, who is the founder and CEO of CPU Coin. If you're just tuning in, CPU Coin is a decentralized compute platform, which Sean believes can be more secure and more reliable and more efficient than traditional computing methods. Also, earlier in the show, we talked about a really cool story about Sean working on Tetris. And if you missed any part of that, you can download it at svin.biz. In this week's Cyber Tip, I'm going to be talking more about an interesting study from researchers at Northeastern University in the United States and Imperial College London in the UK. That up to 81 devices that they tested, many of them listen in on you at home and send information about you even when you haven't configured those services. So what do I mean by that? So maybe you bought a smart television. Maybe you use Alexa. Maybe you use Siri. What's happening is you can think about when you configure these services, you would expect that you're interacting with a service provider, a Roku, and they know your browsing habits and their viewing patterns. You're actually opting in and giving them permission to collect that information. But this is a situation when, when you're not even using those services that the devices are still sending information somewhere. Now, on one hand, the report's good news it appears that the data is more often being encrypted, meaning that no one can see it's secure. That's a double-edged sword because it also means that you, as the consumer, may not be able to figure out what data is being sent. And really, the only tip there is to be aware that any device that connects to the Internet has the potential for listening in on you, whether you authorized it overtly or did it inadvertently. And really, the only thing you can do in the situation since you can't get visibility, is to not install the device if that is something that you're very paranoid about. And that's the Cyber Tip of the Week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, I have the founder and CEO of CPU Coin, Sean Barger. And if you're just tuning in, you should definitely listen on the podcast to the first two segments because Sean has a really rich history in tech. And we're now talking about how you can not only save money for your compute, but you can also make some money. So, Sean, welcome back. Good to be back. So, John, just to summarize in our last segment, what CPU coin is, what are you doing? Yeah, so we're making it so that anybody can make requests using standard web calls to the CPU coin network and process and deliver content or display it on a website or deliver it into a decentralized app or deliver to a mobile app or what have you. So we're effectively replacing the backend server requests with a regular API call that makes it so you don't have to have all the infrastructure anymore. It just replaces the backend services that everyone it just takes for granted, right? If you take your mobile device and you turn off your network, what happens with your device, with your apps, right? Everything that, that happens with your NFL fantasy football, an app that goes and plays a video, Anything that makes a request where you upload a profile and it processes it in the background and you have a new image on the screen, all of that is something that's on the server side, like you were saying earlier. Okay. So so you got me hooked. So how do I get engaged? Well, first of all, enterprises will be able to deploy a D-service on our network for their own applications. Okay. And so we're going after enterprises who want to deploy a decentralized service and use a sharing economy, which is literally a fraction of the cost for AWS and Azure because it's a sharing economy. It's like, you know, if you if you want to go and get a, a limousine, it costs, costs you 150 bucks to go to the airport, you know, or you can get an Uber for, 
mm-hmm. for 59, right? right? It's the same concept, but for CPU power. So effectively, each CPU coin is worth one euro of AWS when it's on demand, uh, where you're leaving the server on, and that adds up really fast, okay? Um, or 4.5 euros of AWS Lambda, where you pay as you go, and and but at a, but at a fraction of the cost, okay? So um, effectively, what that means is uh, you. Uh, you know, somebody can become a miner, and instead of mining cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. you can you can deliver productive work for enterprises, uh, such as banks or you know website delivery, uh, Warner Brothers processing a billion images, whatever it might be, and and our system does that and auto scales, and and we're 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 bringing together both the capacity with uh, we just announced a Kudo partnership with eight thousand compute machines, uh, and. Uh, the enterprise applications so that anybody can use it uh, as an enterprise, but have the applications that they're currently using on other systems and uh, and not have to deal with any security issues or uh, any issues with, um, you know, scalability and have to do all of that work in adv- up front with an IT guy who manages all of this stuff, right? So I'm going to go back just a little bit because we've talked a lot in previous shows about concepts around blockchain adoption and enterprise. And there's always in the back of their minds, you go back to two years ago, mm. uh, one, speed of transaction, mm-hmm. and then two, um, the concept of hyperinflation on the given blockchain. How are you addressing those two issues? Well, uh, well, first of all, I think the main thing that we're doing is we're not relying on the blockchain for the speedy stuff. Uh, like I said earlier, my CTO... DJ uh, Jennings uh, prior was a core engineer at NetSuite, and he was dealing with a hundred thousand transactions per second. So what we're doing is a micro, uh, basically a a micro transaction system uh, where it manages uh, all of the transactions and then does a roll up onto the blockchain rather than trying to do it directly onto a blockchain. I think blockchains eventually will become faster and faster. Eventually. But uh, but the world's going to require more and more volume. So it's going to be. Out, I think the volume of requests is going to be outstripped. Uh, uh, is going to outstrip any potential blockchain keeping up with it. Right. So uh, so that's why you need a, an off-chain microtransaction system, and that's part of our. That's in our white paper. And and that's yeah. smart because what normally happens, in as I judge startup pitches and I go to the other events, the savvy people in the room. That's always the. That's why I asked you. Those are the questions that come up right away. Is uh, this is all going to fall apart if you can't handle the transaction volume and also limit the cost involved with that. So that, that's correct. That's a smart approach. Yeah, yeah. And so that's I think that's uh, that kind of covers both of the issues in in some ways, right? Um, we haven't actually uh, chosen exactly what our main net chain is going to be. We've looked at a lot of different options, um, but uh, we may do our own. Uh, but right now, for right now, we're partnering with other companies that already have wallets. And we're we're enabling them to effectively turn. We have a a a, a partnership with some uh, with a wallet a company that has over 1.2 million users, and they'll be able to install our miner software on their PCs. It's I've done it myself. We just I did it on two tablets and put them you know inside of a, a firewall in our office recently, and um, and you'll see that they're actually they come online in the main net and then they're being delivered work. That's it. I mean, so they can actually earn cryptocurrency uh, or currency of any kind. Actually, we're, we're we're making it so that 
you know, whether you want CPU coin or whether you want B BTC or whether you want Ethereum, you get to choose. I want to start earning with this, this right now. And then it will, it will uh, calculate and deliver that, um, you know, automatically into your wallets uh, on a daily basis. Now you'd mentioned off microphone, so don't give the name out, but you're working in a pilot with a top 10 financial institution. Yeah, that's, that's correct. Uh, one of the things that happened at consensus uh, was that, we we were approached by a large bank and they said that we we really they really needed to see what we were doing because they've looked at every blockchain cpu project on the planet and um they uh you know in, until it's deployed we don't like to really talk about it too too in depth but the fundamentally um they worked with us to to come up with the security uh, and and the um, the white white paper adjustments so that we can now uh, work actively on a POC together. Um, we think that's a really good development for the company when you have somebody come to you and say, "Hey, uh, you're the best one we've seen. You're way ahead because of your uh, media gen and your your actual installable miner. You know, let's talk." And so since then, we had over ten meetings, and it's, we're deep diving. No, that's awesome. And so go into what the future looks like for that type of a use case. You're a top 10 financial institution. You have your reasons to get engaged without all the specific details. Where do they go once they adopt? What happens? Yeah, so they get to uh, what, 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 we, what we did was we made them comfortable by making it uh, possible to run it on their own network first. That's, that's the first thing, right? So they can run on their own secure network and see what happens and analyze, you know, memory footprint, data on disk, uh, the entire delivery chain, okay? Uh, then tier two would be SAS 70, you know, compliant data centers, uh, which I, I just said we announced 8,000, but there's going to be many more. Uh, almost every show we go to, we talk to data centers around the globe, and they're all fascinated by blockchain, and they're interested in putting their data centers to work in new ways. And so th you can imagine how those conversations develop really quickly, right? Because uh, Well, after the show, I mean, I, I yeah. am, I'm connected to the two top data center brokers in the country or the world, arguably, mm -hmm. and I mean, they're very interested in just blockchain use cases in general. We'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, so at the end of the day, though, uh, what you end up with is a situation where companies can... Um, uh, at, at a bank, for example, take their existing executable, their existing data analysis or whatever tool they have or, or need to, to automatically scale, deploy it as a D service, and then the entire end-to-end um, -end security chain uh, will have already been analyzed and finalized and then, and then, and then processed and delivered uh, you know, for, for the bank. Then, um, then they can automatically scale uh, when they have secondary compute needs, and they made it very clear that they they not only have the needs to have secondary compute for uh, for the purposes of cost, but also so that because they have to deliver. So if somebody goes down, right, and, and some of the big boys they do go down, right. So they want to be able to do secondary compute. Um, at whenever they want and have different applications that some might be less secure, some might be more secure. Some can use the, the public network that we have, tier two and tier three and tier four, uh, et cetera. Well, Sean, I can't believe we're out of time for this segment. It's fascinating what you're doing as an enterprise guy. I mean, I'm very 
interested in hearing more about what you're going to be working on with CPU Coin and what the roadmap's going to be. So once again, Sean Barger, CEO and founder of CPU Coin. You're listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Any questions or comments about CPU Coin, how to get engaged, email us at info at svn.biz. And we'll be right back to close the show with Sean and the Pivot. The NTT Open Innovation Contest 10.0 is now open for submissions. Interested startups should definitely check this out. Your company could win up to $100,000 of funding and win a trip to Tokyo to get shepherded by NTT Data's ecosystem. Go to oi.nttdata.com or svn.biz for more information. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders, welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. On today's show, I've had Sean Barger, who is the CEO and founder of CPU Coin. Uh, all throughout the show, we've been talking about Sean's rich history in technology in Silicon Valley, starting off with gaming, of all things. So Tetris was one of his first projects, and then moving into what is now CPU Coin, a decentralized platform for compute power. Welcome back, Sean. Good to be back. So I know it, for a lot of people listening, it's like, what is compute power and CPU? But what we're t- really talking about is business models change. The pivot's all about transformation. Business models continue to change. Historically, many companies, many people buy very expensive technology infrastructure to keep their businesses going. In our last segment, we were just ending on the benefits of a secondary compute platform, whether it's cloud or whether now moving into decentralized compute. That in itself is transformational. And then you also talked about in the last segment how for your under NDA top 10 financial institution that uh, in engaging with them, there was a security discovery as well. Let's talk more about that part of it. Yeah, so uh, we think it's, I I mean, really, we feel blessed actually to have a top 10 bank telling us what they need to solve a problem they have to solve, right? Mm -hmm. And then working with us to actually modify our white paper and solve the problem, right? And, 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 and developing, um, you know, every, every point from the beginning, from the, from the first request to, to tell, to tell some decentralized network what it wants to do, all the way through to delivering the results and making sure that all along the way it's encrypted and if any if any bad actor got anything they wouldn't have anything that they could do with you know they couldn't do anything with it right, right? and so um, that has turned into effectively us really taking a hard look and analyzing um, you know every step of the way how do we make sure that there's all you know all attack vectors are minimized and at the same time um, making sure that uh, that memory is even encrypted as needed um, depending on the type of uh, service required or you know if it's business analyst data or what have you that that's very sensitive so you know I think one of the biggest issues for them was what happens you know when somebody freezes memory and says, okay, what's in this memory of this decentralized application right now, right? So you have to deal with all of these things. And it's not easy to do. That's why we actually uh, brought on a, uh, an advisor uh, who also uh, prior was at NetSuite, has a number of patents on, on uh, you know, decentralized security um, as, uh, you know, to the, to the team. Well, 
if this fulfills the promise, I can give you all kinds of use cases without naming names. Mm. Um, financial institutions, we are normally required to have a primary data center and a secondary data center, usually in an active-active configuration, which means that both centers are live. It's not a fallover that's it's dormant. And then as the regulators got more and more um, concerned that if a hacker got a hold of your primary data center, so hacked into your primary, that since you have active-active, it can also do damage to your secondary data center. Mm -hmm. Now you needed a tertiary data store. So now you've not just doubled your cost, you've pretty much uh, two and a half extra cost because mm -hmm. now you do need a, a, a tertiary data store. Um, so I can see practical use cases for that. And then in terms of um, one of the worst natural disasters ever recorded, so I won't even name the country, but you can guess. Mm. Uh, when we were they were asking me about strategies on data center uh, architectures, um, they said that they, would, they were five years away. Two years after the event, they were five years away from having a secondary active data center. Mm. So there is a, definitely a need and a market for this. It's just... As you continue to move and deploy, how will you achieve that? Right. And I, I think um, because there's so many different applications that people need on the server side, and there's there's a need to auto-scale it on top of it, and then there's the security issues, and then there's the fact that big companies want to solve it, there's there's just really – the, the size of the market is, is, is limitless, and it's also, it's also for good. We view this as one of the, the largest – eco plays on the planet because think about it this way how many how many less machines yes will need to be purchased okay if you're utilizing to full capacity what is already available it's, it's like it's like a ridiculous amount you're going to make a lot of, of technology power. providers very worried <laughs> uh, about not pushing boxes anymore it's the same the same challenge that automakers have if everyone goes to the Uber model, right? So with just the last minute we have, it's been a great show. Talk about the transformation in licensing for this type of technology. Well, that's I mean, that's one of the reasons why I'm such a big believer in crypto, and that is that it can run completely independently. It automatically uh, on a per transaction basis does the divide. It divides, you know, the miner gets paid, the enterprise developer gets paid, uh, we get funds from the enterprise or whoever wants to use the network, and we take a little bit for CPU coin, and then we even have in the model to to automatically have a uh, a pool for giving that every year will be will be uh, given or dis decentralized to other um, uh, you know, unbanked or other uh, nations uh, that need CPU power. Right, so they can actually use it for doing their own work. Well, Sean, I'm definitely going to have you back so we can talk more. Uh, once again, Sean Barger, CEO and founder of CPU Coin, thanks for being here. Great to be here. Thanks. Keith. So, for any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz, and we'll see you next week. The NTT Open Innovation Contest 10.0 is now open for submissions. Interested startups should definitely check this out. Your company could win up to $100,000 of funding and win a trip to Tokyo to get shepherded by NTT Data's ecosystem. Go to oi.nttdata.com or svn.biz for more information. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846. 888-828-SVIN.